Yeah, so if you have a Bible, um, I would invite you to open to 1 John chapter 3. Um, it's important, I believe, this morning um, for you to have the Word in front of you so that you can be reading along with me, verifying that the things that we're going to talk about today, the scriptures we're going to look at, are coming directly from the Word. That the Spirit might, in your seeing those and reading those, um, listening to what um, we believe He's, he's called us to, to teach today would um, do a work in, in all of us our hearts, and in our, and in our lives. So we're in 1 John chapter 3. We're going to cover verses 1 through 10 this morning. Um, we'll actually look at verses 11 through 24 on Wednesday night. I'm also then preaching in Matthew 17 tonight in John Day. So if like partway through this, I, I end up in Matthew, like somebody like throw a pencil at me, stop me from, from going there. I've got like both of these are just like converging in my brain this morning. And uh, so, so we want to stay in 1 John this morning, we'll be in Matthew 17 tonight, so, so make sh- help me stay on, on that vein. But let's, let's begin by, by reading through this text this morning, starting with verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning. From the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to gather in your name, Lord, to open your word, to see what you would teach us this morning. And we pray that you would speak to the core of our hearts this morning. That as we go through these passages, Father, that we would see 
the love that you have for us. And, and in that, Lord, we would see the response that that love invokes. Where we come to passages like this, and they are difficult passages. And we pray, Father, that by your grace this morning to us, you would help us understand what you are telling us in these verses. Father, we pray that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. So verse 1 starts right out with, see. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. See. See what kind of love. John very specifically begins with this word see. This is important. It is important for us to see what is so important. John is directing our eyes. He is directing our eyes, our hearts, our minds to something. He starts out the verse with see. So what is, it, what is important for us to see? What is he calling us to behold? John is saying to see what kind of love the Father has given. That we should be called his children. See what kind of love the Father has given. Have you ever really stopped and just thought about that right there? The kind of love the Father has given that we might be called his children? How great the love of the Father is. How great it is that he should call us his children. How much love is actually wrapped up in that one verse right there? Can you really get to the bottom of that? Can you really get to the bottom of that in your heart? That kind of love that the Father has, has given you, believer, Christian, the God of the universe, the God of creation, Yahweh, the great I am, God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. How can we even see that? How, how can we know that? How can we see that? How can we see that? I struggled with this this week. How can we see the kind of love that the Father has given us? How can we dwell upon that? How can we really think about this? Look at these passages. Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. All flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Ecclesiastes 7.20 Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Not one. Psalms 14.3, they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, 
not even one. So in these passages, like it says right in in Genesis 6.12, God looked upon the earth and he sees a creation, his creation, all of us created in his image. And what have we done? We've turned against him. We've rebelled against him. God, Yahweh. We've gone our own ways. We're living after our own desires. We are chasing whatever we want, indulging in whatever brings us pleasure. No one loves God. No one is following him. We are all living in and walking in sin. We are pursuing lawlessness. It's translated in the Greek as rejecting God himself. All of us. So God looks down and sees. So when we think about how great the love of the Father, how great the love of the Father that he would call us children of him, it's a great love. It's an immeasurable love. It's a love that says, even though they hate me, I'm still going to love them. How great the love of the Father. See that. That's what John is asking us to do. Why would he choose to save anyone? There were other options, right? There were other ways. He's God. He can do what he wants. Why would he choose to save anyone? Why would he choose to save us? We don't deserve that. Why? Because he loves us. Those whom are his children. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So when John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave, you can see it clearly, can't you? You can see that. The giving, the giving, what he gave, Was his son a mission to die? You get that, right? That's the giving. That's what he gave. His son up to death. As if you would say to your son or as if I would say to Hunter, my firstborn, Hunter, there is something I want you to do for me. I have some enemies down there. They deserve to die. They deserve death. But I want you to go and die in their place. I'm going to sacrifice you, son, to die for those enemies of mine. Why? So that they can have eternal life. Because God loves his children, children of God. In order for us to be called his children, in order for you to experience love and relationship and communion with the Father, he willingly crucified his only son. It was the only way that we could be called his children. Out of his love, his love 
for us. John is calling us to really contemplate that level of love from the Father. See. I wonder, I wonder, does the significance of this, of being loved like this, shape your relationship with Jesus? The one who died in your place, does this kind of love shape your relationship with Christ? Or does it shape your thoughts, your feelings, your every action, knowing this, knowing that God loves you this much? Does this shape your life, Christian? Believer, does this shape your life? I struggled with that in my own life, in my own walk this week. It's hard. Is everything we are and everything we do centered around this love that he has given to us? Those of us who would call ourselves believers, Christians. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. Second half of verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. He said it, we are. God said it, we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know, we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see him as he is. You see, verse 1 and 2 then go on to explain how we, if we are in him, if we are son or daughter of God, converted, hearts transformed by him, knowing his love, all our trust, all our belief, and life now found in him, all of those things, how that makes us different from the rest of the world. If we are in him, we are different from the rest of the world because we're his children. Not all children, not all people in the world are sons and daughters of God. Yes, we're all created in his image, but not all people are sons and daughters of God. There is a distinct difference between children of God and everyone else in the world. Those who believe and come to him and those who don't. Children of God have a hope in Jesus. They have a hope in eternity with Christ, with God. Children of the world, they don't have this hope. They don't have this hope in Jesus, in God, in eternity with the Father and the Son. They don't have that hope. We are God's children now, this verse says. And we are different now, this verse says. It's kind of like this. 
God has given Christians, believers, the opportunity to see Jesus as hope. Believers have seen and have come to know him. They have experienced hope in Christ. Their lives are on a completely different trajectory now. This hope, this seeing Jesus, this believing in Jesus. Now the Christian, the believer, their life is on a completely different trajectory. They're not on the same path that they were before they had this encounter with Christ. They're different. They've been changed. They've seen Christ. They've come to know the Father. They've felt his love. Now their life is going this way when before it was going that way. Now they're like, I've got to have that. That's life. That's what life is. That's what the Christian, that's what the believer's perspective is now. That's how we're different. People in the world, they don't have that. So they hope and they meddle and they, they pursue the things of the world, the things that they want, the things that the world tells them is okay. They read the news and read all about these people and they go, yeah, I want that, I want that, I want that. So I'm going to go there. That's where they're putting their hope. They haven't seen Christ. They haven't seen God. They haven't come to know the love of the Father. Believers enjoy worshiping him because of this hope. Believers enjoy getting together with other believers because of this hope. They listen to his commands because of this hope. They try to walk in the Spirit because of this hope. They read the Bible because of this hope. They want to concern themselves with the things of God because of this hope. So when we see these passages speaking of abiding and obeying and following His commandments and pursuing purity, these aren't rules. These aren't rules to follow. This is the condition. This is the condition of a believer's heart and mind. Why? Why is that the condition? Why aren't these rules? Why aren't these commands? Why is it the condition? Because we are God's children. And not just in some future tense we are God's children. Not just in some, some day distant, we don't even know when. Not, not, not then, we're his children now. This is the condition of our heart now. Those who believe. Is that you, believer? Are those true of you today? Christian? Looking at verse 2 a little more. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. This, this verse reads very similar to what we, um, what we read in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It is true, if, if you believe you are a child of God now, and though you may not yet fully understand what that means and looks like, can't even vision what that future um, with God perfected bodies, perfected hearts, perfected minds is going to be, you're a child of God now. Our hope is in that now. 
His promises are true. He will complete what he started. But our hope is in him now. Believers hope for that now. We hope for that day when he returns, but we live in that hope now. That, that hope now creates in us, a believer, a living hope. Living, an active hope. An active hope that when he returns, we will see him because we are being made like him now. Because we are pursuing him now. We should believe that. We should walk in that. We should pursue that. John says that we can know that. We can have assurance in that. So knowing that, having the living hope now, we are going to be constantly looking at that, praying for that, longing for that, to see him. We're going to be constantly looking for him, praying to him, longing for him, to see him and to know him as he is now. We're going to be preparing for that even. We're going to be preparing to be made like him. Why? Why? Because we can't wait for it to happen. Look at 1 John 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Abide in him so as to not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Abide, abide. We hear this word abide all the time. What does it mean? John actually says abide 20 times in this five-chapter books. He uses the word abide. In John 4, we see what Jesus is saying to the woman at the well about abiding. I think, I think that's about abiding. Jesus comes and he says, see this well here? It's life. This well here is life. This water is life. Drink of this water today. Right now, you will never be thirsty again. Keep drinking. Keep drinking. Drink of this well. This well only. See this well over here? There's nothing but death over here at this well. This well is not good for you. If you drink of this well, you are perishing. This well over here, this is life. This well over here, this is death. This is abiding. This is not abiding. You want me? You want to see me? You want to know me? You want to feel my joy? You want to, you want to feel satisfaction in me? You want to know how I have satisfaction in the Father? Drink from this well here. This is where life is at. Don't drink from this well over here. There's no life here. There's no life here. Life here, Christ, Jesus. Our belief in him, our abiding in him, drinking only from his well, creates in us an eternal hope that causes a living hope now that then moves us to desire, to desire the things that he desires. Yes, we are God's children now. We may not fully understand all that that means. But know this, John is saying, know this. He loves us. We know he's coming back for us. And as his children, we long for that. See what kind of love the Father has given you. 
an eternal love, a perfect love, a self-sacrificing love. When we see that, when we believe that, when we love him back, when we see that, his love for us, we can't help but love him back. We can't help but love him back. When we believe that, when that sinks down into the root of our hearts, our natural response is to love him back. Why is that? Because his love changes us. His love changes us. When he brings us to salvation, we experience and know his love for that first time, it changes us. What he has said in the Old Testament, his promises are true. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new nature. A heart that can see him and feel him and love him and long for him and walk in his commandments and desire purity and desire righteousness and desire to hate sin and to kill sin and destroy sin. He does that in our hearts. When he saves us, this is what happens. This is called being born again. This is what he does. This is what John is telling Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John. We must be born again. That's what happens. That's what the new birth looks like. That's what it springs forth in us. When we look at these two verses, these first two verses, these verses are the foreground. They're the backdrop. They're the setting of the stage, so to speak, of then what we read in verses 3 through 10, where John gets really serious about sin. We can't go to a place of hating sin if we haven't first known the love of the Father. These verses to pursue purity, righteousness, to stop sinning, they are our very response to his love for us. And, and that hope, the promises for his return to come back and get us. Don't miss that. Have you experienced this in your life? Is this true of you today, believer, Christian? Is your heart beating and longing for God because of this love that he has poured out on you? Are you abiding in him today? Will you see him and recognize him and know him upon his return? Verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So here, John is telling us, within the context, again, within the context of verses 1 and 2, what we will do, who we will be, what we will look like if we are children of God. Those whom have placed their hope in Christ purifies themselves. Note that John doesn't mince words here does he? It's a pretty direct statement. He is saying that children of God, new heart, new nature, new desires, new birth, a trait which happens as a result of being a child of God, is that we will purify ourselves as he is pure. The language of this passage is difficult. It's hard. And I think that we would do very well to sit in this passage alone and just let the Holy Spirit do some work in our heart. We will purify ourselves. 
if we are children of God, we will move towards purity as he is pure. It's not out of obligation. Not out of sheer obedience. As in, I have to. Not with a heart that even feels like it's a burden. It's not a burden to pursue purity. This comes from a heart that beats for and longs for the Father. Why? Because He loves us. He loves us. Is that true of your life today, Christian? Believer, son of God, daughter of God. Is your life marked by a desire for purity as you have seen your sin before a holy God? As you have really grasped the notion of his son being sent to earth to die for you? Has that grabbed your heart in such a way that you are pursuing purity? I wrestled with that this week. I don't know if that's true of me all the time. That's hard, to be honest. I've been sending text messages out to several guys in this body this week going, guys, what is this saying? Is this me? Is this us? Does this mark us? Help me understand this. These verses are not easy to read. I think, I think we come to verses like this and we want to water them down. We want to read that and go, oh, that's not what this is saying. That's not what this really means. Look at this other place. Look at this other place. That's not what John is meaning by this. We want to water these verses down because they're true and they're hard. I think, I think often, more often than not, we want to talk about what? What is the one thing Christians long to talk about? Everybody longs to talk about. I love to talk about it. I, I do. I love to preach about it. Grace. Grace, that's what we want to hear. Preach grace. Herald the doctrines of grace. Grace, that's what we want. That's what our hearts long for. Purify yourselves. Don't sin. Walk in righteousness. These are hard things. I'd rather focus on grace. Let everything be under grace. We prefer passages that tell us we're all sinners. That puts us all in the same boat. We can't even judge each other. We can't even judge our own hearts. We're all sinners. It's okay. We're all sinners. We're taking those verses out of context when we do that. Or passages like Rory taught last week. We have an advocate. If, if, if you sin, you have an advocate. We throw that one all out of weird context. Don't worry. It's okay. God's got it. You've got an advocate. We're all sinners. It's okay. It's far easier to say that I have an advocate. Far easier to say that we're covered by grace. Far easier to say that we're all sinners than it is to say, seek purity. Seek righteousness. I believe 
We have grown. We are growing into Christians that prefer to seek forgiveness rather than seeking purity. Is it true that he forgives us? Are his promises true that we are covered by grace? Yes, yes, those are true as well. But so are this other aspect of this, this life, this thing that he calls us to. We are covered by grace. Know that, trust that, believe that. But we are also called to live and pursue purity, righteousness. We shouldn't even be surprised that this whole movement of grace, everything is creeping into the church. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter. Jude verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Even then, even then, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years past Christ's ascension. People are creeping into the church then saying, let's just teach grace. Just focus on grace. Nothing else matters. You're covered by grace. Go and live how you want. Even then, we shouldn't be surprised that that's prevalent amongst Christian. Christian, everybody's a Christian, right? Everyone believes in God. Christian circles today. And that's even crept into just Bible-preaching, Bible-believing churches. We have gotten soft, Christian. We have gotten soft because of this grace. We long for grace because we also long for sin. Our hearts are wicked. But that's not what John is saying. That's not the gospel. The gospel changes us. It gives us new desires, new hearts. Yes, we seek forgiveness. But that should never be our go-to place. That should never be where we go first. We shouldn't seek forgiveness before we seek righteousness and purity. We seek forgiveness when we come to falling short. We seek forgiveness when we stumble and bumble. We don't seek forgiveness first. Purity is our goal. Purity is our go-to. Or should be. Never should we separate the truth of grace from the truth of what being a child of God means. The very outcomes, the very outflow of what that divine grace has done, is doing and will do in lives of children of God, believers. What that grace has done, is doing, and will do is to give us a desire for God and all that is about purity and righteousness. What purpose, what purpose is grace if it has had no transformative work in and through your life? What purpose is it? If grace hasn't changed your heart, then it was not grace at all. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So everyone who practices sin, walks in sin, pursues sin, is practicing lawlessness. What is, what is lawlessness? What is, why is John saying sin is sin and then sin is lawlessness? What is lawlessness? I already said it a little while ago. Lawlessness in the Greek translated is a rejection, 
rejecting God. So those who practice sin are practicing lawlessness and are rejecting God. You cannot reject God and be a child of God. You cannot experience the love of the Father. You cannot accept His grace and reject Him at the same time. It's not possible. It's not possible. Verse 5, you know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. We know as the Gospel of Jesus Christ tells us, Jesus appeared to take away the sins of, of us, of the world. And why was he the one that could do that? Why was he the only one that was qualified to do that? This verse gives us the answer. Because in him there was no sin. He was perfect. He was spotless. He who knew no sin. God sent someone perfect to die for me who was a sinner. That's what makes this whole crucifixion of Christ immense. He was perfect. He wasn't just like... He died for some of his own sin. He didn't even have sin. We're the ones that carried the sin. We're the ones that rejected God. The perfect, spotless lamb. He was the only one that could do it. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. No one. No one who abides keeps on sinning. No one. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John has set up for us a very clear picture. A very clear picture then of who the children of God are and who the children of God are not. Can you see it? Can you see it in here? Children of God, those whom he has brought into his family, those whom Jesus came into the world and was crucified for, those who God sacrificed his very son for, those whom he has rebirthed, reborn, those whom have been given a new heart, a new nature, abide. Abide in Jesus and do not keep on sinning. These are the children of God. Versus those who practice, practice sinning. Those who practice lawlessness. Those who practice have neither seen him or known him, will not know him when he returns. Those are children of the world. Those are not children of God. How do we not practice sin? Man. I can't stand up here before you today and say that I don't sin. I can't say that. Nobody in this room can say that. What's the point of this? What, what's, the, what are these, what's the word that these verses are saying? Practice sin. How do we stop practicing sin? What is this verse telling us? This verse, verse 6 is very clearly pointing to abiding by abiding in the father by always moving towards christ when we are moving towards christ growing in our love for the father pursuing jesus we are actively moving away from sin when we're running towards christ we're moving away from sin 
We're abiding. We don't have time to stop and play in the mud. I'm on a mission to see him when he returns, to see him as he is. My only hope, my living hope. I'm on a mission. I don't have time to stop and meddle in the mud. I don't have time to stop and meddle in that which is death. I don't have time to stop and drink from that well of the world. It's not even that I don't have time. I don't want to. That's death. Who chooses death? Tell me that. Who chooses death? Those who reject God. Those who don't pursue Christ. Those who don't chase after Jesus. Those who don't abide in Christ are choosing death. Abiding keeps us from practicing sin. Do you see where the focus is of these passages? Do you see the focus in these passages? Do you see what John is telling us? It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Christ, the Messiah, it's all about him. That is our focus. When our focus is him, we are not able to love and dwell in sin. The goal The aim in living out what John is saying in these passages is a constant pursuit of Christ. The question isn't, the question is not really, it's just not really, this is not the question. Are you in sin today, Christian? We know the answer to that. Yes, the answer to that is yes. Our hearts are wicked. That's not the question, though. The question is this, believer, Christian, the question is this. Do you love Jesus? That's the question. Do you believe in him? That's the question. Do you believe him? Believe in him? And love him enough to follow him? That's the question. The question is not, are you in sin? We know the answer to that is true. The question is, do you love him enough to follow him? Verses 7 and 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Notice how John starts this. Little children. Little children. John is using this term here as a term of endearment, a term of great love, like a softness now. He's saying to me, listen to me, son. Listen to me, daughter. This is of great importance. Hear me. Listen to me. Little children. Son, daughter, listen to me. This is how you know if you are a child of God or not. And this is important. Hear this. This is how you have assurance. This is where your assurance lies. Listen to this. Do not be deceived. You cannot be a child of God and practice sin. Jesus came to destroy sin. Note that in verse 5 it says that Jesus came to take away sins. Here, John ups the ante and says he came to destroy sin. Not just take it away. Not just cover it up. Not just let it be okay over here. He came to destroy sin. 
God hates sin. You cannot be a child of God and pursue sin. Sinful behavior, sinful thoughts, sinful desires, sinful patterns, sinful lifestyles. Sin is incompatible with God. Jesus was crucified because of this sin. Listen, little children. Let no one tell you that you can be a child of God and be whimsical, lackadaisy, okay with, soft on sin. Sin matters to God. These texts are not vague. They are not hard to understand. God saves us into an abiding relationship with him and a life to pursue righteousness. That's what he does. It's the business of God. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. This may sound harsh. This may sound like a harsh verse, but it's very, very good news to us. It's good news to us. This verse is good news to us. Because we have been reborn, born of God, those whom are children of God, we have his seed. What does that mean, seed? He's not talking about the birds and the bees. Talk to Blaine about that later. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. God's seed is the Holy Spirit. If we've been reborn, if we've been rebirthed, if we're a child of God, we are indwelt with his Holy Spirit. The word says that. Read John chapter 3. Look at John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The word cannot accept the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, you know him, for he lives in you and will help you, be with, will be in you. The Spirit of God lives in us. That's God's seed in verse 9. So John is saying here, because children of God have God's seed present in them, the Holy Spirit, and because of the presence of that Spirit, the child of God cannot keep on sinning. The Spirit inside of you will war against your sin, will convict you of sin, will draw you back into an abiding relationship with the Father. When you wander, when you sin, when you, when you start to be enticed by the things of the world, the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to do that. He's going to do that in you. Heed that. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. That's what he's there for. That's him helping you keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Yes, the heart of a genuine Christian has been so transformed by the love of the Father through the power and work of the Holy Spirit that they cannot live in a pattern of continual sin. Children of God will hate their sin. Do you hate your sin? Is your life marked by a hatred for sin? 
verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verses 11 through 24 cover what that looks like, loving your brother. We'll go over that Wednesday night. But, but look at this first part. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. This text is very clear. It makes it very evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Christian life. The Christian life is about a knowing, a knowing of God experientially. It's about relationship. It's about feeling Him and seeing Him. It's about recognizing Him. It's about communing with Him. It's about relationship. The Christian life is not about to do's and to don'ts, commandments, obedience, all of that. That's not what this word is saying. Read the Gospels. We see things, commandments and obedience and all that, yes. But that all flows from what? Our knowing of God, His love for us. Our recognition of Christ on the cross for us. That love. That's what the Christian life is about. We can't walk in both light and darkness. Those who don't know Him... Or those who know him but don't obey him and follow him don't ever come to know him. They don't. You can't say that you know him, walk in disobedience, not follow, not pursue, and and say that you know him. You just can't. Those who have rejected him, those who have disobeyed him, They have not believed him. Children of God abide because they believe him. Abiding comes from belief. It's not effort. We abide not because we have to, but because we know that that is where life is. Because we believe. Because we love him. comes back to that question I asked earlier. It's, it's not about where's your sin today. It's about are you loving Jesus? Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you'll move towards Jesus. Sin will become smaller. It will not become a thing that you practice, that you live in, that you dwell upon because you're living and dwelling upon Him, upon Christ. You can't keep on sinning. This is not a weighty rule. This is a simple truth. This is a simple truth of a heart that's been transformed by Jesus Christ. Worship team, if you want to come on up, that would be great. You can't keep on sinning. It's not weighty. That's not weighty. I battled that this week. I wrestled through that. 
Kevin and I back and forth all week long, text message after text message after text message. What is this saying? Help us, Lord, help us. Get our hearts to the bottom of this. What is this saying? Simple truth of hearts that have been transformed by Christ. So I ask you today, I ask you today, are you a child of God? Have you found him? Have you found him as your treasure? Is he central in your life? Or is everything else central and he's just marginal out here on the outside? Just marginal. Is he central? You can fool me. You can fool Blaine. You can fool Rory. You can fool everyone in this church body. You can fool the whole world. But you can't fool God. And I believe by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, you can't fool yourself either. We have to understand that all the religious activity in the world cannot mask an unrepentant heart on the day of his coming. Don't be fooled. A gospel that preaches a soft following of Jesus, a soft following of Jesus for blessings, for rewards, for that mansion on the hill, a gospel that preaches casual living towards sin. It's okay, God's got it. I don't care if I make that decision or blow through that door. A gospel that preaches casual commitment to Christ. A gospel that preaches two-faced love towards the Father. It's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not truth. Don't be deceived, like John is saying here. It's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. There is no in-between. Some people like to say we're either moving towards Christ or we're, or we're moving towards sin. I think we're either moving towards Christ or we're perishing. We're moving towards Christ or we're perishing. There is no gray area in this word of God. It's very clear. The truths in here are very plain. We read things about sheep and goats. It's a black and white picture. There's a major distinction between a sheep and a goat. We read things about slaves and freed. Big difference between a slave and someone who's free. We read things about narrow and wide. The path is wide. The gate is narrow. It's a black and white example. We even read things like the words hot and cold. You're either hot for Christ or you're cold. There's no in between. There's no room for lukewarm following of Jesus. We read in the word about heaven and hell. We read in the word... about life and about death. We are all, we are either a child of God or a child of the world.
There's a distinction, Christian. There's a distinction, believer. I would ask if you know in your heart today that you are not a child of God. Maybe the Holy Spirit is is showing you something today, this morning, going through these texts. And you know, this isn't you. You're not there. Don't leave here today without coming and talking to myself or, or Blaine or Kevin over here. Or Fred down here in the front. Don't leave here today. If you know that this is you, don't walk out those doors today. Let us open the word with you. Let us continue to go through this with you. Let us walk with you in this. Don't leave here today if you know this is true of you. I would also say that maybe, maybe you're you're one who have been here in this church for a long time, or you've been in other churches for a long time. You've called yourself a Christian for a long time. Maybe today that spirit is, is, is quickening you today to a belief that you, you've, you've never had before. You're, oh, I've called myself a Christian for 20 years. I can't, I can't say that I, I believe today. Yes, you can. It's not embarrassing. Come and talk about my testimony. I called myself a Christian for years. Years. 20 years probably. I don't know if I was or not. I know today. (laughs) Don't be embarrassed if that's you today. Come and talk to us. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, The Spirit blows where it wants. We don't know in that time, that place, when the Lord is just going to like bring our heart to that level of belief. We don't know when that is. Maybe that's today for you. Come and talk to us. And for those of you in this room right now that are children of God, my prayer all week has been that these passages will give you assurance upon assurance upon assurance that you are in Christ, that you are in him. This is why John is even writing this book. The context of this book is is written so that Christians would know. We would know that we're a child of God. Is that you? Are you a child of God? Where's your heart today, believer? So the call is for you too. The call has been for me all week. Don't leave here today with questions. If you are questioning, do not leave here without speaking with one of us. Let us pray with you. Maybe, maybe, as we've just been talking about sin this morning, maybe your heart is just overwhelmed by sin in your life this morning. And by His grace, His grace, you are feeling the weight of that sin. Maybe the Holy Spirit in you right now, God's seed is telling you, you're not pursuing purity. Maybe the Spirit is revealing sin that needs to be repented of. Praise Him for that. Praise him for that. Walk in that. Repent. Turn. Chase him. He loves you. He loves you. 
And if that's you today and you want to pray with somebody, come and see Blaine, myself, Fred, Kevin. We're all up here towards the front. Come, come in this last song. Don't sit in your seat. Don't walk in condemnation. Come and, and hear about this great love. Receive this great love. Repent and know. Don't walk in that. Don't carry that burden. He took it on the cross. It's done. Don't walk in that. These passages, they're not meant to be a burden. They are life-giving. They are confirming. They are speaking about a love that changes hearts and lives. That's not burdensome. That's giving. That's good news. So in this last song, as we sing it, just dwell, dwell upon the love of the Father that he might call you a child of God. If you want somebody to talk with, to pray with, Grab me, grab Blaine, grab Kevin, grab Fred. Johnny's sitting down here too, grab Johnny. Grab one of us. Dwell upon that, how great the love of the Father. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you today, Lord, to, to quicken our hearts, Father, to see you for as, as you are, to see you and to know you. We need you to quicken our hearts with a desire to abide. We need you to do that work that you've promised you were going to do as we would seek you and follow you. We need you, Jesus. None of us are perfect. We all have sin. Lord, but as you would call us today in these passages to move away from a life of sin to a life of abiding, do that in us, we pray. Do that work in us. Let us know and experience your, your promises in this word that says you will give us a new heart, a new nature, a heart to see you and long for you and believe you. a heart to follow. Give us that, Lord. Grant us that today. Do this work in us. May we be pure as you are pure. May we seek righteousness as you are righteous. May we destroy or have a heart to destroy sin in our lives. Do that in us, Jesus. We need you to do that in us today. Let these obedience and commandments not feel like a burden father transform our hearts so it's a, it's a love response teach us how it's not burdensome but that it's giving that it's life giving do that work in us we pray do that work in us we pray we beg you father to do that work in